Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of the CHGO Cubs podcast. Brendan and I are coming to you on Friday, February 3rd. Yes. Brendan, spring training is this month. The Cubs play, uh, albeit an exhibition, but they play a baseball game this month. They do. We even saw Nico Horner hit a home run today, Corey. We will will definitely talk a little bit about... Some of the guys that we're already seeing in spring training love to get that kind of early trickle of content before Mm -hmm. pitchers and catchers officially report, and then obviously uh, everybody else joins a little bit later, and then we get into the Cactus League schedule and all of that. Uh, Are are you, you know, you're you're partially an Arizona man. Are you going to get get out there this spring? I am. Well, I've been talking with Ryan about, you know, coordinating me going out there when he's out there, but regardless, I'll be out there anyway. So I might go for I, you know, two Ryan weekends. Ryan has a, very, a serious job to do. I don't know if he needs you. I'm a serious person Ryan, too. Ryan, go ask Nico about this. Go ask. Yeah, yeah. you know, Ryan has. Well, a those job are to do. serious questions. I, I think other people want to know my questions to Nico <laughs> as well. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So we will talk about that. We'll talk about you know again the Cubs still in some rumors uh, that they are looking for relief help, perhaps. I think Jed probably waiting out the market there to see uh, what remains and, you know, knowing him and how they've been operating, uh, what the the best deal they can find to add some value to this bullpen. Uh, So plenty to talk about here, but Brendan, I I do want to start. When I was in the studio on Tuesday, uh, we did talk a lot about Dexter Fowler retiring, uh, and obviously in days since, uh, and I know Luke and, and Cody and Ryan have, have touched on this, but Dexter Fowler joining the crew at Marquee uh, for some pre and post and, and part of their coverage throughout the season here. Uh, so I just, you know, I, I felt you and I could at least offer uh, our perspective on that. And uh, I was thrilled to see that. Um, yeah. You know, you and I, I think, and, and all of us have talked before about you know how it would be nice for the Cubs to add some more recent blood to their coverage or appearances at Wrigley Field, things like that. And, you know, you can't control who's interested in being on TV or interested in being an ambassador and things like that. And and look, I have all the respect in the world and they deserve it. You know, guys like Ryan Sandberg, Fergie Jenkins, Billy Williams. But, you know, you and I and, and, you know, people Cody's age or Ryan's age or, you know, even younger than us, you know, we didn't see those guys play, right? So the more we can mm-hmm. kind of get uh, guys like Dex, I know Cody would want me to say Sammy Sosa, and I would agree, right? I would love Derek Lee to, to be more in the mix as much as possible. Um, you know, it's good. I, I think it's, it's, it's stuff that we want to see, and I think Dexter is 
a, a no-brainer for this. He's done some TV coverage before, and and just his personality, um, the way he talks about the game, his passion for the game, and um, you know, I think you read it in his players tribune article his you know the stuff he was posting during his his retirement he gets what it means to be a cub i think he loved being here and and had a really special connection with the fans so i think this is really cool it's a perfect fit i mean he was only here for two years but it feels as if he's been part of this organization for you know a decade just the amount of moments and memories he provided but separating that from the recent um, accolades, just his personality, like having someone with that type of energy, that type of positive mindset. One of the critiques we, you and I always have, even from the national broadcast, is that a lot of those big time broadcasts, a big portion of those are spent on like negative commentary, criticizing current happenings of the game. That's right, one of John right. Smoltz's biggest shortcomings, where the game is progressing in a good way. And there's a lot of good about the game that does not get highlighted. I think Dex is a perfect person to bring that up. And he just played in this recent era of pitchers developing and more fastballs. And he was part of that previous era as well. So who better to give his insight on a championship caliber era and progressing to a, a more recent modern era of baseball than Dexter Fowler is a perfect fit. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a good point that I didn't even really think of. You know, I was thinking so much more of Dex's connection with the fans here and uh, just what I've I've seen of his coverage and personality. But that is, that is a good point. I think the more guys that you can get in there who are passionate about the game of baseball yeah. as it is now and you know that that doesn't necessarily mean you know I don't I don't necessarily you know I don't know how Dex is going to go about this but you know I don't care if he's talking about WRC plus or you know things like that but no he, no no I'm not, I'm not meaning that either yeah no I know he he's passionate about the game and wants to grow it and promote it and be excited about it. And I think the the John Smoltz example is is always going to be a good one. John is obviously very smart, was very successful in his baseball career, but it's a, a pretty common gripe when you watch those games that yeah. it, you, you can't go one game without him complaining about something about the current state of baseball, which sometimes valid complaints, in my opinion, usually they are not valid complaints, <laughs> but it's just not you know, when you're watching something and enjoying something, it's usually better if someone is not complaining about it as you are <laughs> trying to enjoy right. it. And I think Dex is going to bring uh, a very positive energy and excitement to whatever he ends up doing uh, with Marquis. And, uh, you know, I hope he's in, as involved as possible. Absolutely. I think one good example of that positive type of, maybe positive is not the right word, just highlighting aspects of the game that aren't getting highlighted. And I think two examples come to mind from the Cubs media perspective that do it well. One is Cameron Maben. I think he's a phenomenal voice. And two is uh, Lance Brzdowski, who brings in that like hyper-analytical mindset, but does it in a way that is very player-intuitive. And I think that's the challenge of bringing in these numbers yeah. and breaking it down in a way that seems as if you're talking like a scout. And right. that is what I appreciate about the modern game of baseball. Smolst does not do that. There's guys that can do it. I'm hoping, and I think Dex is also one of those guys. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it, uh, Lance on, on, on Marquis is, is really, I, I think just like a better version of you. Is that fair? Well, that's like, I don't know if I should be insulted by that or if I should be like flattered by that. That's that, that can go multiple directions, but yeah, Dealer's I guess choice. that is fair. Yeah. 
Yeah. However you want to yeah. take that, that's fine. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, being, being compared to Lance is, a, I'm flattered by that. Yeah. But for, coming from you, I know it's kind of a diss. Well, maybe. Um, okay. So as, as we get into some of the, the goings on at spring training here, um, also, you know, before I, I continue, I want to direct your attention to, to something. Um, but before I do that, um, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't point out just in, in case some of you are wondering, like, what, what do I remember Dexter Fowler for? I'm, I'm a little unsure. He did win the world series yeah. with the Chicago Cubs in 2016. I forgot to mention 2016. That, yeah. yeah. Well, that game seven, he, he did something important that game seven, if I remember. Yes. Right. Yeah. He does hit the, yeah. the first leadoff home run in a game seven oh, in world series okay. history. Yes. That the Cubs won, right? Correct. And then yes. the Cubs go on to win Game okay. Seven, which in a seven-game right. series means that you win the World Series. World Series, correct? Yeah. Right. So just just clarifying that in case anybody okay. forgot. Um, okay. So I do want to direct your attention. Uh, we have been talking about how uh, Luke and Ryan, our guys, sat down with some Cubs at Cubs convention, um, and they have been sharing those interviews over on the CHGO Sports YouTube page uh, at CHGO Sports on YouTube, if you look that up. Uh, and on Thursday, they added their sit down with Justin Steele. Uh, another really good conversation. Um, so if you want to listen to the full podcast from Thursday, uh, that is also on YouTube or this podcast feed that you're currently listening to here on the YouTube channel, as well is just the, uh, I believe it's uh, 18 minutes with Justin Steele with Ryan and Luke from CubsCon. Really great conversation. And I think, um, you know, one that I, when, when I saw, you know, who they were going to be able to talk to at CubsCon, it, it's a great list and all of the content is great. But I, I think Justin was the guy I was the most excited for um, because he's, yeah. it's just such an interesting situation with Justin coming into this year. He was so, so good last year and exceeded, I, I think, anybody's expectations for him. And you listen to him talk and, and really anybody in the organization talk and, you know, their job's not done, right? Like he, he wants more. He wants I to continue that. growing and developing. Um, and you know, he's, he's young in his career here. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Justin back out there as spring training starts and just what 2023 has in store for him. So this, this, this conversation from Cubs convention, um, was kind of a, a nice little primer for that. It complemented their previous conversation with Tommy Ottavi very well. Because Tommy was talking about what Justin did successfully to have that positive second half. And Tommy was describing the down and in fastball that Lester nudged uh, David Ross to bring to Steele's attention to was it? a big factor. John Lester. Oh. Corey. John Lester. You may have heard right. of him. Yes. Yeah. Future Hall of Famer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. World Series champion too. Uh, several times John over. Lester. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he was talking about that moment when... Going down and into right-handed batters changed the trajectory of his season. And it did so not because the pitch itself was good, but it allowed him more room for error, where the margin for error expanded, as Tommy Hadovy said to the guys, but also, as Justice Steele pointed out, with maybe more like individual detail, it allowed him to go down and in. And when he missed, the misses were more competitive. And the slider played off that well. And he grew confidence in that pitch, that mental mindset. And so when he was saying this, I'm thinking about the numbers that matched all of what he's saying. By year's end, right before he hurt his back in August, that slider, Corey, was grading as a 70 
on the 80 scale by stuff alone. That means he was better. That slider was better than two standard deviations away from your average slider in the game. Better than over 95% of the league. That is an absurd development. And then this, the forcing fastball also improved dramatically starting from June. The slider kind of took off a little bit later once that forcing started to get more comfortable. But that's where it clicked for me. It's like, all right, well, he got more comfortable with the forcing down and in. As he was able to do that, the slider then kind of started to develop. And by the end of the season, he had one of the best sliders in the game to go along with one of the best fastballs in the game. I didn't expect that going into the year last year. I was hoping... Based on what we saw 2021 end, I was hoping he would maybe kind of implement that sinker a little bit more because he was doing that at the end of 2021 and then use that change up more. That is the complete opposite of what happened and complete opposite from my expectations. He was successful because of two pitches. And now maybe, as Justin Steele pointed out, uh, he can use his other pitches against certain matchups. And as the year goes on, he wants to start 30, 35 times. He will have to do that. So now I'm going to be owning in on how does that change up look against certain teams and certain matchups, but specifically if those two pitches, the four-seam and slider, continue to do well, he may not even need to have a third pitch because those two pitches by August were two of the best pitches in the league, Corey. Do you, where does he rank, while we're on the subject of Steele, uh, where does he rank in amongst the guys you are, uh, let's say, most excited, yeah, about. Most excited yeah. about or, or most looking forward to how things play out for them in, in this season coming up? Nico, probably yeah, number is, one. That seems like a given. <laughs> oh, you want to you want to put the positional guys in here? But I mean, just like putting the pitchers in this, in this conversation, it's... it's continuously changing as it should because these guys are continuously changing as well so we had this conversation with Luke when Wisniewski was pitching well I think in August last year and the same question was posed how do you rate these guys is it Wisniewski over Steele is it Keegan over Wisniewski and and my answer at the time was Wisniewski number one no doubt about it and my logic was no pitcher in the Cubs major league depth has Wisniewski's stuff at that age. And that's still partially true. However, the conversation does change because as I was pointing out in August, steel slider started to develop and that stuff matched Wisniewski's stuff. So their slider graded similarly. So now you have to ask the question, okay, you have two guys that have similar pitches. Maybe Wisniewski's slider is ultimately better from the stuff alone, but now you have one guy who did it for 125 innings, has that layer of confidence with the full season versus another guy that doesn't have does not have that. So there's two ways to think about it. For for me, having that base of confidence that Steele does have matching Wisniewski stuff now, at least in a small sample, is a difficult conversation to have. I think you would have to bet on steel. Uh, but if you're interested in just stuff alone and the, the amount of pitches, Wisniewski probably still piques my most interest, but it's very close. And if you ask me tomorrow, I might I might switch to steel. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Which is a huge development, huge development. I mean, we were talking about Keegan versus Steele right. in the bullpen last May. Right. Now look what we're talking about. Yeah. Absolutely, I, I think it's 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 going to be uh, very interesting to see how that all plays out. And you know, something we've talked about as well is just you know how do the Cubs manage the innings for all of these guys? How do they break camp 
with the rotation, assuming that Kyle Hendricks isn't ready and, you know, really being unsure of, of what you're going to be looking for from Kyle Hendricks as a whole. Um, you know, do they want Hayden Wisniewski in there from the jump? Like, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting, but I think it's, it's very easy to look at someone like Steele and say, if he's able to repeat the year that he had last year or build upon that and be even better, you know, it, it's a lot easier to dream on this season being, cl- you know, closer to the successful end for this uh, Cubs team. And, you know, that's uh, somewhat a lot of pressure to put on someone like Steele, but I think you probably have a, a more, let's call it reliable projection when you're looking at someone like Marcus Stroman or Jamison Tyone. Like, you kind of have an idea of, like, what you can pencil them in for and what you're expecting out of them. When you look at guys like Steele, it's like you, you really don't know. And if he continues to move towards that ceiling and get better and make these adjustments and make these changes and, and find ways to be successful with them, it, it does kind of alter how you might look at this team. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to have their own different you know, opinions on what they look for and players they're excited about. For you, you like your lefties, you like your stability, right? For me, maybe I'm kind of more of the guy that likes to pure stuff, just because I like to think about the 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 top projection, the, the best possible outcome. And I think Wisniewski does have that over Steele, but I also think having that middle ground where you have that that foundational base to get to the point where you're talking about Jamison Tyone and Stroman and those reliable projections. If you talk about reliable projections, Steele is far more reliable this year than Hayden Wesneski. So you can you can have two sides of this debate on like who you're most excited about. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Do we know like does Jamison Tyone I I'm I haven't watched I've I've seen his stuff. I know what he's bringing to the table, but like does he have that same kind of bulldog, like angry, like mm. I'm gonna kill you type attitude? He doesn't strike me as that. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Because I, I, I watched a few of his. Starts. Really, what I was thinking of is like you know, Stro can have that a little bit, um, but like Wisniewski, we've seen it from Keegan, definitely from Steele. Like they have that like you know laser focus. Like yeah, I am kill going someone. to kill this batter right now kind of <laughs> energy and attitude and and I guess where I was going with that and what I was thinking of is it's always as you get more of those guys right if Wisniewski was in the rotation like it's just funny to think of Kyle Hendricks mm. in that group like with a bunch of guys well, he was part that, of that group in 2016 with the same Bulldogs you know Lester that is Arietta, true yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 I guess that is true right yeah and yeah. that rotation did well or do you remember <laughs> I was I was, was pausing for you to say I don't something. Miss. It, it, it we did don't very miss. well. Yeah, it did very well, Corey. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how like Hendricks is going to be part of that, like you know, bulldog type mentality again, and, and be the quiet guy. Although you know, with that new goatee that he's sporting, right. maybe throwing ninety five, he made transition. Yeah. Bizar- you know? That's bizarro, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's take a quick break here from. Our first sponsor, ComEd. The ComEd Energy Efficiency Program is committed to helping families and businesses in the communities we serve manage every energy usage and lower energy bills now and into the future. ComEd offers a wide array of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial, industrial, and public sector customers of all sizes across our territory. Customers can acquire 
about how to upgrade outdated lighting to energy and money-saving efficient LED lights. They can learn more about network lighting to operate lights through mobile device and track their facilities, energy usage, and more. Incentives have recently increased for indoor, outdoor lighting and network lighting controls, making these projects even more cost-effective than before. Visit comed.com slash powering biz now to start saving money and energy to start a project contact us at 1-855-433-2700 and for more information email business ee at comet.com or public sector ee at comet.com second break here from our new sponsor goose island Corey goose island sponsored our very first virtual happy hour yesterday or two nights ago since this is friday that was fun. Um, you know, a lot of Goose Islands in that virtual happy hour. Uh, there's so many different types of beers. They have a deep beer roster. They have the Blackhawks Pale Ale. In fact, the Hawks and Goose Island have been neighbors for 25 years. There's a Goose Pub in the UC that's been open for almost 10 years. Their tap room is a pregame destination for Hawks fans. They also do lots of charity work. Uh, over the last several years, they also have the Bulls City 312. It's a limited release. They have the 312 Wheat Ale, the Bourbon County Stout, the Christmas IPA, if you still want to be in that Christmas spirit, the Beer Hug IPA series, the Green Line, the Matilda. My favorite is that 312 Wheat Ale. Goose Island's two locations are open and ready to welcome you. You can grab a beer right from their innovation tanks at the Goose Island Tap Room at 1-800-WEST Fulton or get a smash burger and a fresh beer of the week at the original Clyburn Brewhouse at 1-800-NORTH Clyburn. For reservations and pickup, go to gooseisland.com slash locations, Goose Island Beer Company. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we did the virtual happy hour on Wednesday and that was, um, really fun. Uh, that's for the diehard members over at allchgo.com. So be sure to check that out if you have not already and, uh, sign up to become a member. Going to do more of those. It was great talking, uh, with, uh, a lot of listeners of the pod and viewers of the pod on YouTube. Um, I was just looking at a, a tweet, and I, you know, I want to talk about some of the spring training stuff, but uh, is it a bad tweet? No, 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 no. Um, don't you got you got to like yeah, give me a probably. preface when you do. It this. was just a, okay. it was a poll about what is the best pitch currently in baseball, and I was just curious. I'm assuming if you're talking, I, you knowing you, you would say in all of baseball, but if we're talking just the Cubs, it's Wisniewski slider. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh yeah. Was nasty slider seventy out of eighty command was good. Oh, well, I was taking Estrada's fastball, but uh, it, let's see, let's see Estrada's fastball in like you know ten plus innings. Adrenaline was kicking, the velocity was up. That's why I graded as an eighty out of eighty. Uh, but Wisniewski in thirty three innings, having a seventy out of eighty slider is probably the best at this point. Um. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I was assuming yeah. that was the answer. Um. But I just wanted to. No, I'm trying to think. Uh. You know. Hmm. Ethan Roberts slider is also pretty good. 70 as well. Got that low plane action. Hmm. Yeah, it's, in, it's, an, it's an interesting discussion. I would probably go with Wisniewski slider though. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, let's talk about just some of the stuff going on in spring training. Uh, it's not officially spring training yet, so I guess I just say, should say in Mesa. Uh, but it is good to see some of these guys trickling in. 
Um, I know I, I saw uh, our friend Rich uh, on, on Twitter, uh, at V-I-E-S-T-22, if you want to follow, taking great pictures, yeah. uh, the guys out at, at spring training. Um, Matt Mervis is there, saw him doing some fielding work, dropping bombs uh, in BP. I know, uh, saw, you know, one guy that I, I, I've said before, like, I think we can kind of expect him to have a breakout. We saw the adjustments that he made toward the end of last year. Um, like, Saya showed up, mm-hmm. I think, today. He tweeted out a picture of himself in Arizona. He, he's jacked, man. I, I mean, I don't think he's <laughs> necessarily shape of his life. gotten significantly more jacked, but maybe I just didn't notice. But, like, there's been a few times this offseason where he's posted some workout stuff. Uh, doing some work in the cage and and this photo that he posted today and like my immediate reaction Let's is this, this guy's hitting 30 home runs like book it Let's give me the over wow. like do it right now yeah he has a shorter haircut too he looks good he is jacked man yeah he definitely put on some uh some pounds he looks really good i could see him hitting 30 home runs this year i mean he has that plate approach he had that power um you know 14 home runs and 446 plate appearances he's projected by zips to have 26 home runs and if you think his contact rate will go uh, or his strikeouts rate uh, will go down because of his contact being good yeah 30 home runs i could see that being like a 75th percentile projection yeah so i you know he you know and like he's another guy i don't want to keep saying like oh well if this guy does well the cubs can be good well they have a lot of those you know it's like it's it's sort of obvious right but like i think something that maybe is a little forgotten or maybe understated about Seiya in particular is that he he went through such an adjustment period and at toward you know and, and we saw it in the beginning of the year but especially once he made that that adjustment and and finished out the year as strongly as he did like we saw a lot more of the guy that you would have expected based on his numbers in Japan right yeah and i i think it's easy to maybe forget that he, there's there's probably there there's a higher ceiling there than even what we saw from him in 2022 which ended up being a a really good year for a rookie and a guy you know coming over from another league and another country and all of that but like I don't think it's outlandish to say that he can you know really continue on that path and put everything together and and develop into a a, a real star Absolutely. So if you look, this is a this is a great comparison, by the way. It just it's it's a perfect full circle discussion we're having. 2016, the Cubs leadoff hitter, Dexter Fowler, chase rate 19%, contact rate 79%, zone contact rate 86%. Say Suzuki season last year, chase rate 20%, contact rate 79%, zone contact rate 88% the exact same plate discipline peripherals. Now, where they differed, which is obvious if you watched the games last year, Saya at times was almost too passive, where he didn't swing at pitches inside the strike zone. Dex, 2016, 65% zone swing rate. Saya last year, 58%. So the thinking is, if you sustain that type of chase rate, the contact rate, while also... Being more comfortable with your plate selection, 
pitch selection, if that zone swing rate goes up, that zone contact rate sustains itself, you're going to get more base hits. You're going to get more power that's going to come with it. And you already had the base of power, that above average power last year, to really make you dream of what could happen. And even if he doesn't improve upon last year, which I think is unlikely, he had a 335 weighted on base average last year. That is good, especially in this modern day where the ball is dejuiced, pitchers are going up. I think his season last year was understated. I think even you and I, or at least when I talk about the Cubs offense, I sometimes forget that, Corey, just how impressive it was in a transition year, coming from a different country, different environment, different baseballs being tested in the league. It was really impressive what Seiya did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I'm curious, like you look at like, and you know, you can tell me about the different projection systems and and all of that and you know how much you care about this. But you look at like, you're looking at fan graphs for 2023, looking at uh, Steamer, for example, they've got him at a 351 Woba with a 128 WRC plus. Uh, good for 3.3 wins above replacement. Zips has him at a 361 weighted on base average and a 135 WRC plus. They're a little more down on his defense, uh, so only coming in at 2.7 wins above replacement. Those are really strong projections. Very strong projections. I mean, they're they're almost negligible. If you look at Zips, they give him more power more home runs per plate appearance. Steamer doesn't give him as much power. For example, Zips, 21 home runs for 466 plate appearances. For Steamer, they give him more plate appearances at 589, but only 25 home runs. So that power increase from Zips is interesting. And this is where like the model differences, while they are kind of, when I say negligible, they're not like significantly different as you see, but they do weigh certain events and certain attributes from the previous year differently. And it's possible, I'm not sure if it's true, but it's possible that Zips in their player comparisons when they do this, that individuals who have Seiya's uh, combination of, of walking and strikeout rate and isolated power, it's possible that those players tend to have power improvements or they tend to have that type of power that they're modeling, which is encouraging. This is where when you look at the models and look at the different projection systems to see how they work, this is where it does get interesting. Not on the sheer output, but how they do differ and what they are weighting differently. Yeah, interesting. It's, uh, you know, and they're obviously, uh, you know, Seiya only played in 111 games last year. Um, so, you know, certainly would expect him to play more. Uh, I would think he dealt with some injuries throughout the year. Um, but you know, you look at all these projections and, you know, one thing is clear for most of them is that they expect more power from yeah. Seiya. Um, well, I have a question for you. So you see the the plate discipline and you know, the power, we just brought it up, but would you be okay with the idea that he bats lead off to start the season off? You have Nico, you have other guys, but that those play discipline numbers comparing him to Fowler are basically spot on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Um, I, you know, I think as we kind of ended up discussing, really any time Dexter comes up, um, we end up discussing how the Cubs never seem to have a, a kind of clear candidate to be yeah, the leadoff like hitter, what years. are they going to do, who's going to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm for it. I, I think he's got the pitch recognition skills. Um, I'm hoping, you know, one thing for him that I think is a, a huge factor is just how frequently he got, he he 
had good takes. He had a good eye, and the umpires punished him for it, right? Calling strikes on yeah. pitches that were actually balls. So, you know, that's the type of thing that, like, I don't really know why that was. Is it because he was a rookie? Is it his batting stance? Like, I don't really know. Um, and whether that gets corrected or not is kind of impossible to predict. But he, one thing is clear, like, whether the umpire is calling it correctly or not, like, he knows the strike zone. You can see that. He knows it very, very well. Um, he gets on base. He takes his walks. He's able to fall off pitches, see a lot of pitches, all of that. I, I think it, it, it fits the bill, um, you know, of someone that you would want up there. Um, he's got, I think, decent speed. You know, he's a, he's a fine base runner. Um, I, I would be for it, you know, especially absent a lot of the other options, I I think. Yeah. You know, and, um, ultimately like I tend to ask that question, you, you obviously want somebody to set the table, but especially with this particular iteration of, of the Cubs offense, um, you know, I think it's just someone like, are you comfortable giving this person the most at bats on any given day? Do you trust them to get on base? Do you trust them to set the tone and, and, see pitches and and operate in that way and is it someone who you're comfortable saying this guy might get more at bats than anybody else on any given day and i i think say kind of checks all of those boxes he does i the one question i have is if he's on base which he would be on base quite often does the guys behind him knock him in like you're, you're gonna have dansby in the middle of the order you're going to have Ian Happ in the middle of the order. After that, it's kind of up for grabs. Maybe Wisdom bats in the middle of the order some days. If Bellinger has certain matchups, maybe he's batting fifth. Uh, you know, Trey Mancini, similar conversation. Or do you think, okay, well, say it's going to get on base, but the chances are the majority of the run producing at-bats are going to be from those guys, from Wisdom, from from Hosmer, Mancini, uh, maybe it makes more sense to bat Nico leadoff. Give Nico all those at-bats. That way you give a higher bulk of opportunities to one of your best hitters in Seiya, presuming that those improvements do persist. That will be an interesting conversation. I think we'll get an, uh, an idea of what's in David Ross's mindset from the first like week of spring training, where they end up making these types of rosters. And I'm sure he'll be asked about that quite often. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh, yeah, that's it is it is uh, you know it, it is kind of full circle with Dex kind of it coming is. back in our lives I didn't plan and, it and like stuff this. like that. It is a, an annual conversation and, and it's it's not an easy thing, right? Like Dex was so perfect and well suited as we talked about in the episode on Tuesday. Um perfect for that team, perfect for that role and and just perfect for that lineup, right? That had a lot of power behind him and and really needed someone like him to do exactly the job that that he ended up doing so perfectly. So, you know, not every team is is going to have that and it's it's probably an idealistic view to think that uh, year in and year out, you're going to be able to have someone that fits that bill. But, you know, this yeah. is an, an interesting group because it's not, it's not, you know, of course, it's not like the 2016 team that won the World Series. Um, World Series, correct, yes. But, you know, like I said, that team had so much power and slug in in the middle portions of that order and on on given days they could add even more of it right like you know you wanted to get Soler in there or Javi in there and obviously Kyle was hurt throughout the year but when you were John looking Lester. in the world yeah right uh if you need oppo power you bring John Lester up 
Right. Yeah. And you know this this lineup has a lot of guys who maybe have let's say you know twenty to twenty five homer power, right? And so it's 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 a little different because I think when you look at a lineup where it's it's kind of clear you need guys on base because these guys later are going to start hitting home runs. This is a different group, right? Um, so how exactly David Ross wants to structure that and and what the best way to start that off is right. is maybe a less clear kind of answer. Um, you know, and then you kind of get into the thought of, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with this, but you hope that say it taps into some of this power and, um, is able to put up numbers maybe that look more like they did when he was in Japan. And, you know, then you ask yourself like, okay, well, do I want him hitting 30 home runs from the leadoff spot? Like, I don't know. Right. And would you prefer that in the middle of the order? And maybe, you know, guys like Nico batting in front of him, it's, it's an interesting question. And, you know, because some of these guys are, you're still projecting how they're going to be and, and play in the MLB and in 2023, it's not that clear of an answer. And it, it also brings me to the thought that we've talked about before in years past, especially where we were like, well, you know, I don't know how much we can evaluate David Ross, this, that, and the other. Like, and I think I've said this before, like, this is going to be a, a test of his chops, right? Because this roster still isn't great, but in other years, he's had some pretty clear excuses of like, well, what do you want him to do, right? This is an impossible situation. He's going into the year. Nobody has a contract. He's going into the year. It's COVID. There's no fans. Like, this is all weird. Last year, he's going into the year with a team that is clearly not set up to be competitive. You know, this is not a perfect roster. He's not being handed a World Series team that is his to mess up, right? But if for this team to be successful, they're going to have to hit on those margins. And one of those right. margins is going to be how David Ross manages these games and, and deploys certain platoons and sets the lineup and pulls guys out to play matchups, things like that. Like, And figuring out who to hit at leadoff with this group is one of those tasks. Yeah. I think when I was listening to Ross last year, I can't recall the specifics, but there were moments where he was talking about, okay, this hitter hits better against high fastballs. They have all that data and he's able to take all that data to still it down and that's informing some of his decisions. That gave me confidence in the idea of not just like the lineup he's putting out, but in terms of who he's going to play that day. And I can think of a situation where if we're talking about the middle of the order and making an argument for say it about leadoff, you can make the argument that against a certain pitcher, if you have Trey Mancini in the middle of the order, let's say against a high fastball pitcher, Trey Mancini was one of the better high fastball hitters. And he would by far be maybe top two or top three on the team last year in high fastballs. So let's say there's a high fastball pitcher. Okay, well, you put Saya at leadoff. You have Dansby, who's probably batting third, fourth, or fifth on a consistent, almost everyday basis. Now you have Trey Mancini, who can hit high fastballs. His power, if he were to have played at Wrigley Field every day last year, was 30-plus home run potential. Those are two guys, Saya, or rather Dansby and Mancini, in the middle of the order who have that power. Then you have Ian Happ, right? So you have three big time bats in the middle of the order against certain matchups. I think that will be interesting to see how Ross deploys those matchups and how he orchestrates the lineup around. Maybe in some days, you know, they have a guy who is throwing sharp slider, say you're going to bat third or fourth, and you have Nico 
bat up and then higher in the order because he has a high contact approach. Those will be like the situations we'll own in on. And I have confidence that that Ross will be able to deploy the right guys. And I think one, before I do the ad break here, I think one piece of evidence for that was how he used Morrell last year. I thought he was really aggressive with how he used Morrell early on when he was successful. He used Morrell in that leadoff spot a lot for several games. I think, what, three weeks on, mm-hmm. he was the consistent leadoff guy. And he took advantage of the moment where Morrell was not chasing at really any pitches. And he was working those deep at-bats. And he was not whiffing a lot at the time. He ended the season with a 63% whiff rate. It was one of the lowest in the leagues. But during that brief stretch, he was only whiffing at a 30% rate. That was like passable. And he was not chasing, putting up good at-bats, having a lot of power. And so that moment in time, to me, indicates that if there's unusual possibilities that may not make like obvious sense or if there's unusual possibilities that might generate some flack i think ross is willing to do that and i think he has the data and the input from those higher ups to let him make those informed decisions i think we'll see some interesting lines i think it will make a lot of sense that's where i get confidence with him yeah and i mean i think it's you know it's also going to be an interesting year too because you do have some guys who and you know sometimes this stuff is mandated from the front office you never really know but like you know you think about someone like eric hosmer or cody bellinger right like if they're not good what is the leash there right and you know for and you know like Matt Mervis is an example when he comes up like it, it, it that's a very delicate balance right because you know you look at someone like Eric Hosmer and you know he I think you're you're projecting him to be a, a you know slightly above league average hitter at first base but let's say it goes really poorly right he's just showing more signs of age it's just not working like how aggressive is David Ross with the plug there? How aggressive is he with the platoon with Trey Mancini? Things like that. Like if Cody Bellinger is not tapping into his MVP form and things like that at the plate, what is the, you know, read there, right? And that's going to be one of the big challenges, I think, for David Ross to, you know, again, like he's got to get that stuff right. And, you know, again, sometimes that stuff is not, completely up to him if the front office wants a guy out there or they want him to see it through and you know they're making mechanical changes this that and the other you know that's obviously something that they all have to work together on um, but those little decisions um, are going to be very important obviously in, in this team being successful this team has such a little margin for error on every level basically um, and and that is one of those so uh, good test for David Ross coming up yeah, and I guess you can point back in the recent seasons where Hayward was on the roster. He batted Hayward maybe too often, played him too often to our frustration. Uh, some past middle infielders got way more playing time than any team should have ever allowed those guys to play. So there have been instances where he overvalues. This is just my thinking. He overvalues that like veteran like mindset and the ability for those veterans to turn it on at any moment. I don't think we have those guys. Hosmer is one of those guys, but that's basically it. So I think because of that, then the leash might be shorter for for other guys. The leash might be shorter, let's say for Wisdom. If he's struggling and he has Morel, maybe Morel gets more chances in those situations. Bellinger, he doesn't really have that that 
pedigree, that like age pedigree. He does have that MVP season, but he himself with the Dodgers had playing time restricted. So I feel as if Ross may be willing to do the same thing if he's not performing up to standards. That will be fascinating to see how it all plays out. I'm a break here from our sponsor, Foco. Chicago, you've already got the best coverage for your favorite team, so get fitted out in the best sports gear around. Foco has you covered from Soldier Field to the living room, north or south side, with hoodies, slippers, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between. You can get decked out like DeMar with apparel from the leader in sports, merch, and collectibles. If you're looking for the perfect gift for the football fan in your life, Foco has you covered with hoodies to fight that Lake Michigan breeze. Check out Foco.com or click the link in the description below. For all non-presale items, use the promo code CHGO for 10% off. Final break here from our sponsor, DraftKings. The stage is set. We're counting down to the battle in Arizona. There's no better way to get ready for the NFL action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your Super Bowl 57 winnings with each leg, and you can add up to 100% right now. The odds are out. They currently stand with the Eagles as minus a point and a half favorites. Uh, the over/under set at 50 and a half, so you can get on get in on those lines right now before they might change. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code CHGO. New customers, again, you can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHGO. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. Void in Ohio. You can see show notes for all details. All right, Brendan, let's talk a little bit of the bullpen. Um, The Cubs did end up bringing back Mark Leiter Jr. on a minor league deal. Uh, you recall that he declined the outright request, but the Cubs, you know, renegotiating the contract there, um, got a pony up a little bit is, is likely what that means. Um, we've, we've talked about him and we, you know, uh, Cody, Ryan, Luke, and I for sure joke that, uh, the YouTube chat hated him during the year. And I, I get it as a starter, but as a reliever, he was actually quite good, as we've noted before. Um, and, you know, it never hurts to have these options, right? Like, um, but I, I, I did, as he comes back, it, it did dawn on me, and you, you know that I rarely like to give you credit for anything. Okay. Um, but I would venture to guess, and I'm sure we could go and find the episode. Uh, it was probably like one of the first starts that he made, and it can't possibly have come from anybody else uh, that isn't related to him, right? Like, you must have been the first person that said, I don't really like him as a starter. I don't really think there, you know, he's a guy there, but I think that pitch mix can work as a reliever. And he was pretty effective, right? Like, he's not going to be the the future closer or anything like that. But when you're talking about having depth— um, between you know the upper levels of your minor league system and and the back end of the bullpen and guys that can kind of shuffle around like I I think he showed toward the end of last year that he can at the very least be part of that mix you know every time you give me a compliment I get my eye cal out and I put it in my calendar and just to remind myself you know weeks from now months from now when I'm, when I'm feeling down that Corey every now and then gives me compliments so I I appreciate I had that. to balance out my backhanded compliment of Lance being a better version of you 
Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Well, we'll forget <laughs> that early that early part. You always bring down the mood, man. Like I'm trying to to to, to be kind and thank you for a compliment. You just bring that down. Anyway, it's so like with with lighter the the thinking with him. He has six pitches. That's that's great. Uh, all those six pitches as a starter, they're, they're likely not going to allow him to get through lineups multiple times, if not even a one time, if he's being seen consistently by by other teams. So for him to go three, four, five innings with regularity to have success seems low. But what he does well is he commands pitches pretty well, above average on four of his six pitch types. And many of his pitch types, they're about league average and stuff. So you can think of a scenario, you're going to have a hopefully a good back end of the bullpen with good stuff. But you can think of a scenario where it's the fifth inning, the sixth inning, and you just need lighter to go one, two innings, maybe three, depending on the context. And you can selectively employ lighter against a lineup that either is poor against facing tailing pitches, let's say sinkers or changeups, or poor against facing cutting action. He has a four-seamer, he has a cutter, he has a curveball, and he has a slider. So you can maximize his value that way based on the pitch types that he has, which is almost every single pitch type. And you can protect him from seeing the same order multiple times through. Going four, five, six innings with regularity, again, seems less likely to result in positive value. But going one inning, two inning, three inning against those selective matchups who are weak against certain pitch types, that is where I think, one, will be challenging for Ross, but two, it could really optimize his value. I think there is potential there. Now, the Cubs bullpen has so much possibilities with the guys in AAA and even AA, maybe even percolating up through high A ball, that he may not get that chance. But having that depth and that possibility entering spring training, I think, is a, a good decision for the Cubs to bring him back. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked about some of the guys, uh, you know, who are on the younger side with Greg Huss when we had him on. Uh, the Friday episode last week, um, you know, spending an hour just on the minor league system. If you haven't checked that episode out already in your podcast feed, um, and you know, you you'd love for guys like that to, you know, who have the higher ceiling, like to make lighter junior, not necessarily someone who's a part of that bullpen, right? Like yeah. who can come in and throw harder, get more swing and miss, and you know, create a more dominant bullpen. But again, it's about having that depth, right? Like guys get hurt guys need breaks like you know in an ideal world Keegan Thompson would just come in and clean up every every day after the starter right and then you know here comes Brandon Hughes to close things out and we just call it a day right but you know you need you need guys you need arms you need healthy arms and uh, I think you know having that depth is a good thing but really why I brought that up is because we still hear the Cubs in these rumors so from Patrick Mooney on Thursday he said it would be a surprise if the Cubs didn't add another experienced reliever before their first First formal workout for pitchers and catchers, February 15th in Arizona. President of Baseball Operations Jed Hoyer and manager David Ross both agree that the bullpen is an area where it's particularly important to have veteran players setting an example for younger pitchers. You look at the market that's still out there, Brendan, and yeah. it does appear that some of these relievers, the, the free agent market is very interesting, right? Because in some years, it looks like it makes sense to sign quickly. In some years, it looks like it makes sense to hold out. In some years, it's all over the place, right? There's a good chunk of names like um, 
I'm looking at this this article from Bleacher Nation here, and you know he's got Andrew Chafin, Matt Moore, Zach Britton, Brad Hand, Will Smith, Michael Fulmer as just some names that are still out there. Probably a group that maybe wishes they would have made a decision earlier or taken some earlier offers if they were there, because that's a handful of guys. And at this point, I you know wouldn't expect them to get the highest offer because it's late in this process, right? And a lot of teams have kind of figured out what they want to do. And if they're going to add anybody else, it's probably in the same vein as the Cubs, uh, where it's not necessarily a hard and fast priority that you're willing to dedicate a huge amount of resources for. But hey, Andrew Chafin, you want to come back to Chicago, maybe a little friendlier on the, on the money side kind of deal? Come on over. We'd love to have you, right? <laughs> so I... I something you you have talked to me about is maybe not being so sure about spending the money there um how how do you feel about that do any of those names particularly interest you do you think it's especially important like they you know they they mentioned the the veteran presence like is Brad Boxberger enough of that or would you like to see them add more what's your feeling on this and I know we've talked about this before but this keeps coming up right like, this isn't just something that we keep talking about. These rumors keep yeah. coming, and they keep not adding a veteran reliever, but we, we keep hearing about it. It reminds me of how the Trey Mancini market worked out. If Trey Mancini was going to get $15 million, like I thought might happen for one year, then there was no way Jed was going to do that. Trey Mancini's market dropped $7 million per year. That allowed the luxury tax room to still be quite wide. It's possible that happens with this current reliever market. If you go to COTS contracts, they do a great job of breaking down the projected luxury tax uh, year by year. If you look at 2023, they calculate in the estimated player benefits, the 40-man player minors totals, the the zero to three-year bonus pools, the zero to three-year players that might come up and get money. And what they project is right now, the Cubs have $17 million underneath that luxury tax threshold. $17 million is a pretty chunky room. So if they go out and sign, let's say, Andrew Chafin for one year, two years, let's say $7 million per year, then you shrink down that $17 million down to $10 million. Now you're at the trade deadline. Maybe you need to make two moves. Maybe you're kind of really in it and you need to make three moves. Well, if you don't want to go over that luxury tax for draft purposes, for future financial restrictions with ownership, who the hell knows what they're going to do, then you have to operate in the reality that maybe now is not the right time to spend that money. So then you start comparing okay, if you have Chafin, what is the likelihood he gets you to that point by June and July that you are in serious contention? And for Chafin, he's a great reliever. He's had a, a, a consecutive years of success. But is he really that tipping point player that's going to put the Cubs over the edge? Or yes, by June, July, they're legitimate contenders. I don't I'm, I'm not confident that's the case. And then there's other relievers in that pool that you mentioned, you know, Britton and Fulmer. And the same type of thinking, I uh, apply to this idea that they're not tipping point players. Right now, the Cubs are at a tipping point edge in the luxury tax. 
Now, like Mancini, if they go down to, let's say, $3 million in one year or $4 million in one year, then that makes sense. Then you have more room for that luxury tax in the front office's mind to go out and get those guys if the Cubs are indeed competitive. Mm-hmm. I don't think in my idea, in my mind right now, I don't think Jed's going to spend $7-8 million on a reliever. If he does, Corey, if he does spend Shafin, uh, let's say, $7-8 million, that he thinks his team is legit. I think that signals that he's more confident than, than it appears to be. Okay, I'm going to preface that this is a joke, but I think it's funny. It's okay. not what I want to happen, okay? This is not what we're planning right. for in 2023. I'm not really talking to you. I'm talking to the listeners. It's oh, just you, you a joke. You scare me when you say that, but that's fine. Yeah, go. I'm just going to say, we did just talk to Greg, right? You listen to the conversation with Greg. The Cubs did trade Andrew Chafin for Daniel Palencia once before. <laughs> so I, I don't no. want them to be sellers no. at the deadline, but no. apparently if Andrew Chafin is good and you need to sell at the deadline, you can get a, a pretty interesting prospect <laughs> for him. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I thought you were going the other direction. I thought you were going to say, oh, you can trade Daniel Palencia. But at this point, just bring up Daniel Palencia. But yeah, I mean, to your, to your point, you can't you can do that's that. The new, right? That's the new market inefficiency of teams that are rebuilding. You just, just keep, keep signing trading and signing the same guy because you got something <laughs> yeah. cool the first time. Yeah, And Palencia hey. wasn't even the bigger name in that trade. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, the Cubs signed Jason Hamill multiple times. You know? Right. Like, yeah. So eh, it's possible. Trade him, bring him back. There you go. Who knows, right? But I think that's just, that's the way I kind of perceive it at this point. If if their market drops like Trey Mancini, then I think it makes sense. But everyone has their different opinions. I know some fans want to be aggressive in the first few weeks, so they don't want to waste any room for air. And I understand that. And they may want to just sacrifice that luxury tax and the immediacy to ensure in their minds that the bullpen is stable. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think I really have a strong opinion on it. I mean, I think the the lot you know, look like adding more proven commodities. I think is always kind of a good idea. But I think you know you raise yeah. a good issue of does it affect anything you may need to do going forward? You know, and I think it gives them more stability out of the gate, which I think is good. It's also one of those things where it helps us not rely on some things that are some unanswered questions, right? If I could tell you right now what role Keegan Thompson's going to have and knowing he's going to excel in it, which I expect because that's how Keegan, you know, does things. But if Adbert Azulay is going to be the the closer or a multi-inning reliever and he's going to be really successful at it, he's going to iron out some of the issues that he's had with left-handed hitters, things like that. Like, things of that nature. Brandon Hughes is going to be able to go back out there and repeat and build upon the year that he had in 2022. It's easier to say, well, I don't think this is that important, right? But, you know, you add some someone like Chafin or one of these other names that's just a more stable, proven commodity as, you know, kind of alluded to a veteran presence to kind of help glue things together, someone for guys to learn from, et cetera, et cetera. I think without knowing the answer to some of those questions, I, I like the stability that it might provide um, in the early going. Again, it's obvious, you know, and, and Jed Hoyer and Tom Ricketts would prefer 
too. Like, let's just let the young guys do it. They have a higher ceiling. They're not as old. Um, you know, maybe less risk of breaking down or, you know, uh, feeling their age, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, right? But there's a lot of questions on some of those guys. Um, you know, even, you know, you've talked and written and tweeted about Rowan Wick a, a million times, right? Who knows what that guy's bringing to the table, right? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. If we knew then I would say, yeah, who cares? Like, don't spend the money, save the money for if you want to make an acquisition at the deadline and you're concerned about where you are as it relates to the tax, um, or save the money and give it to Nico Horner when you sign him to an extension, right? Like, I mean, they it's, not, it's not how the money works, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but, you know, absent of that, right? Like, I, I don't hate the idea. Um, making the team better in the immediate or at least more projectable, reliable, whatever word you want to use, like, yeah, I, I, I think I'm for that. And, you know, I, I think um, Chafin's got great vibes, right? Like he was a very <laughs> gifable guy, very good for, for me, for, for someone who likes to make memes and, and put gifts out on Twitter. Like Chafin was elite at that. Um, great stash, great vibes. So, you know, I'm always, I'm always for that. I mean, Luke, Luke is the, the vibes guy now, but I think I can. I think I can cop that for the Friday episode. Okay, we'll 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 see if he allows that. There's also a possibility too, with Chafin and the way that the front office thinks about it. He's, he's going to be 33 this year, right. and he's coming off two seasons where he was used pretty pretty heavily. I mean, he pitched in 64 games last year and over 70 games in the previous year for for two teams. So it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to be that same guy as he was the last two years. And sure. there is a, a risk calculation in Chafin himself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that is what we have for you this week as as we hit the one-hour mark here uh, for the Friday episode. Uh, you know, again, like we're we're in that period where it's, it's kind of the last little stretch here before we start to get guys showing up. And, you know, then it's uh, kind of analyzing what we're seeing on a daily basis. And, you know, you don't want to overreact too much to stuff happening in simulated games or bullpens or things like that. But um, it's always nice to have actual baseball content. Um, I, of course, am not often in the same room as Brendan, but I have to assume you ran through a brick wall watching Nico hit that BP home run today. Well, I almost, I got up really fast. I almost passed out. My right. You got to be dropped. careful about that. I, I have yeah. to. I just have to keep that reminder right. of myself. You got to be careful about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I sent that video uh, to Brendan of Nico hitting a BP home run and figured I wouldn't hear from him for the rest of the day. Um, I'm lucky, you know, you didn't. So, you, so you're trying to kill me? Is that what you're trying to I'm say? I'm just providing the content you want. How your body responds okay. to it is not really my responsibility, right. I don't think. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Better you see it, you know, better you hear it from me than, than somebody else, I think, right? I, you know, that's how I die. Like, that's not a bad way to die. Right. You know, the last thing I th- see is a Nico home run. Sure. Right. Why what not? happened? Oh, he watched Nico Horner hit a batting practice home run in spring training. <laughs> not even spring training, like pre-spring training. Um, uh, sickening. Yeah. And, you know, so just uh, a lot of... There, there's going to be so many guys to watch, you know, and you and I had even talked about um, discussing Miguel Amaya a little bit, and, you know, we didn't end up even getting to that. Um, but, you know, he's an example of a guy who has had such an odd and, you know, mostly unfortunate trajectory to his career with the injuries and stuff. But, you know, he, he sounds to be healthy and, and getting ready to go. Um, 
here in, in, in Mesa and in spring training. And that's what the spring provides is an opportunity to see where these guys are at and how they're going to factor into the plans. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. We're getting that, that early trickle right now, but we're, we're very, very close to the full squad showing up here. So looking forward to that, uh, again, uh, check out the Justin Steele interview that Ryan and Luke conducted that is over on the CHGO sports YouTube page uh, that went up on Thursday evening. If you're looking for it, uh, Luke, Ryan, Cody will be back with you, of course, at 1.20 on Monday. Uh, don't forget to use that code CHGO when you sign up at DraftKings Sportsbook. Crack yourself uh, an ice-cold Goose Island uh, while you're waiting for Monday's episode. Have a good weekend. Uh, Brendan and I will be back with you next Friday. And as always, go Cubs.